What's up, good people? This is your boy, Ronnell, coming with another episode. Episode two of You Scared? I Bet You Scared. Hope y'all doing all right today on this Wednesday evening. Just hanging out, kicking it by myself again. Can't get nobody to get on the pod just yet. It's going to be me solo on it again. But we're going to talk about some good things today. It's going to be all good starting off today. Let me let y'all know what I'm sipping on. It's been a hectic week. It's Wednesday. Dealing with this election. Counting votes and all this craziness that's going on. Got me a nice little benchmark. It's some cheap stuff, but it's good. It hits the, it hits the, hits the spot and gets you where you need to get to. A little bourbon whiskey. Not too bad. You can get a nice liter of this bad boy for 18 bucks at Walmart. These trying times, it's not bad. So I thought I'd go on the cheap side today and sip on a little benchmark. It's cool. I know about it. So it's, it's a good little, nice little beverage. So you guys consider that. Find yourself out and about, want to save a couple of dollars, but drink something pretty, pretty good. It's a nice little option here, guys. So yeah, looking at this election, man, I'm trying to see who gonna win this thing. Right now, they got Biden at 253, you got Trump at two, what, 13. We'll see how it shake out. They counting up these votes. There's gonna be more drama. It's gonna be some foolishness. You can just see it coming, but we'll just um, let it play out. That's politics, but we hear about these sports. We hear about these sports, and I'm about to get into it right now, guys. Updates, updates. I'm gonna start off with my Gators. Took care of business in the swamp against Mizzou, 41-17. The guys came, performed well, had some guys out in secondary due to COVID. No Marco. No, who, who else did we miss? Shay, Shay, you know, I might have had a couple, a little bit too much, too much history. I'm kidding. Marco, Donovan, Steiner. We had Christopher McWilliams. So he opted out. He's not coming back anyway. Um, our kicker was opted out. I'm not. Opted, I'm sorry. Our kicker um, didn't play due to COVID. That was a little concerning. Wow, he was gonna kick field goals, but um, the guy who replaced him, Chris Howard, did well. Knocked down a couple of field goals. Pretty impressed. Never even heard of the guy. So anyway, we got Kyrie Campbell back, which has allowed us to move everybody back to their natural position on the defensive line. We get to move Zach Carter back to the strong side. You get to move Brandon Cox back to the weak side. And we were able to go out there and actually get a pass rush, get after the pass a little bit, and get off the field. Get off the field. I think the guys were one for 11 through three quarters on third down. Getting off the field. That was one big thing I talked about last week. We need to get off the field. Like I said, we're not going to be no dominant defense, but we need to be a defense that can make some plays and get off the field. We may give up some points, but ultimately get off the field so you can get this dynamic, high-flying offense on the field as much as possible. 41-17, you only give up 17 points. Seven of those is on a pick six after um my man Trask got hit on the arm. Kind of fluky a little bit. Gave up 10 points total on defense. That last touchdown was against the walk-ons and bench warmers late in the, late in the fourth quarter. Defense looked well. Defense looked good. Looked like they took the time with this COVID situation to rectify some things and tackling looked to be good. Uh, but it's one game. I'm not going to take this situation and say, oh, 
mark it down for the rest of the season. I need to see it again. But I know what they're capable of. And that was the biggest frustration. Like, man, I know what you guys are capable of. They showed it Saturday night against a Missouri team that has a pretty decent offense. They put up some points on people and they've done it in a variety of ways. They put it, what, 45 on LSU? I, I know that's not saying much, but they still put 45 on the LSU. And they came back last, the week before and put 20 on Kentucky. No, that's not a lot of points. But they showed the ability to ball control and pound the ball on Kentucky, which was a problem for us because you can throw it on us, you can run on us, you can do anything you want to do on us. So you wasn't quite sure what to expect coming into this game Saturday night. Um, we got it done, got off the field, made plays, got off slow in the first half. But, you know, first half in regards to the offense, a couple of field goals. But then we got it going and pulled away and took care of our business. So that is um, – that's what it is. That's what I need to see. That's what I was um, really excited to see. And I'm excited to see a lot of the young guys out there. Rashard Torrance at safety played well. <clears throat> we had uh, Travez Johnson. Another freshman played well. You know, we got a lot of young guys out there that got some good reps, got good opportunities to play, and looked really good. Looked really good. Uh, I don't want to harp too much on this game, but it was a game that you had to go in there, take care of business. I always felt Missouri is just a weird team. They just just weird for us. We don't get up for them because it's just weird. Got the W. We're moving on. Speaking of moving on. Talk about my Cowboys real quick. This is not going to be long. Um, I will say this. Third-string quarterback came in here, and third-string rookie quarterback did what third-string rookie quarterbacks do. Um, <laughs> turn the ball over. That's um, pretty much what that game looked like with him turning the ball over. Uh, Philly's pretty terrible. We, we really shouldn't be even been in that game, much less had a lead in the third quarter. Um, that just goes to show you how bad Philadelphia is. Um, if we had any halfway decent quarterback play, we won that football game. Um, obviously, we do not right now. It's a young kid. He's a rookie. He's a seventh-round pick. I'm not, I'm not killing the kid. I mean, he's thrown into the fire. So, it's going to be what it's going to be. I just At this point, like I said last week, I want to see if this team has some fight. I want to see if this team is either going to come to Philadelphia and roll over or they're going to show up and play with effort. And I must say... They still obviously have a lot of deficiencies, but I saw a team play with effort. I saw a team play with passion. I saw a team play like they actually wanted to be on the field and participate in a football game. And I saw some young guys get out there and even some veterans and make plays and just give it their all. You know, I mean, it's going to sound kind of cliche-ish in high school Footballish, but at this point, <laughs> we got to start at the basics with this squad. So they, um, it, they they showed me something in regards to wanting to play and not wanting to embarrass themselves on national TV on Sunday night. So that was a good thing. Um, wasn't expecting to win. We didn't win. So um, shucks, man. That, that's all I got for that. that. That is what it is. I mean, like I said, we're trying to um, get a top three pick, hopefully. So we'll see how that um, we'll see how that goes down. <clears throat> So moving on to the following week that we guys that we have, um, I'm gonna start with Dallas first. Dallas plays Pittsburgh. Not again. Not gonna have much to say on this game because 
at this point, you have probably the best team in football in the Steelers who are undefeated going up against a team, maybe arguably the worst football team in football in Dallas. Maybe the Jets have them. I get. I don't, I don't think they could beat the Giants right now. Uh, but yeah, they're they're up there. They're they're definitely in the discussion for worst team in football. Um, yeah, this game will be. Um, this will be a bloodbath. So get ready for um, a beatdown. I, I don't. Yeah, no Andy Dalton, the third string um, rookie quarterback will be playing. So that'll be um, yeah another. Yeah, blood breath. But hey, we get to listen to Tony Romo and Jim Nance call the game. That'll be interesting to listen to Romo predict, predict the plays and um, tell us what he sees. And, you know, that, that part will be a little entertaining. Um, the actual competitive part of the game, where they actually are playing, uh, will not be entertaining. Well, it'll be entertaining if you're a Steeler fan. But yeah, uh, but I'll be here for it. Let's hang out. We'll um, see what we do and who can, who can perform and. Um, yeah, well, that's that. Now, cocktail party. Cocktail party. Cocktail party. This is a circle the cat circle circle the calendar game. UF, Georgia, Jacksonville, 2:30 Central Time, CBS. This is for the East. This is a must-win game. For Daniel Mullen. Daniel Mullen has to have this game. It is all sitting up for him. He has to crack the code and get the W against the hated and despised Georgia Bulldogs. I'm not going to go too, too much of a breakdown of the game, but I'm going to keep it really, really, really simple because I don't want to bore you guys with too much of the info like that. But offensively, we just got to do what we do. Offensively, hey, go out here and go ball. That's what we do. Just go, just go put up points. Go score. Go get buckets. We are a passing team that, you know, likes to run a little bit to keep you a little bit off balance. But typically, this is a football game where the team that leads – the team that has the most rushing yards wins this game. Well, this is 2020. We are in different times. We are in weird times, very unusual times. And this is a game where, at least for Florida to win, they definitely have to, they definitely will have more passing yards and running yards, but they don't have to have more rushing yards than Georgia. They don't. Georgia can have more rushing yards, and Florida can win this game going away. They really can, um, but offensively, they have to go out there and do what they do. What they do. That, that's just pretty much plain and simple. Um, we have to dictate to Georgia's defense and not let um, Georgia's defense dictate to us. On the other side of football, uh, Georgia's offense versus Florida defense. Very interesting matchup. Watch the Georgia game last week. They were very unimpressive beating Kentucky 14-3. Do not let that fool you. Rivalry games are rivalry games. Meaning, guess what? To a certain extent, throw the records out the out the window. It doesn't matter. Georgia, to an extent, were they looking past Kentucky thinking about cocktail party? Possible. That wouldn't be a weird or unusual assumption. 
watching that offense against Kentucky. Was Kirby keeping it very simple and generic? He definitely was. He will have a different game plan than he did against Kentucky. He knew against Kentucky, I can just basically run basic offense and get out of here. And that's what he basically wanted to do with watching that game and watching that game plan. That was, let's run these plays, get a lead, hold it, get out of here with the W, and we're good. He doesn't want to show anything coming into next week. He will have some different things saved up just for the Gators. One thing that I think he will look to exploit that we have to really pay attention to is the tight ends and the running backs. I feel that he will be working the screen game, the backs out of the backfield, and the tight ends. One thing that the Gators have trouble with is linebackers in coverage. And that's one thing I think he'll look to utilize. He has five foot nine, <clears throat> Juco, four-year walk-on quarterback, Stetson Bennett, who probably is no taller than me. And I'm not tall. Out there playing quarterback. He's not going to sit him back there and have him go reading through progressions. They're going to run the ball, obviously. And when they do throw it, I think they're going to make specific looks and design and scheme up specific things for the tight end and the running backs in the passing game. I think that's where they will look to try to hurt Florida. So Ventrell Miller, James Houston and company, get ready. We got to figure this thing out. And, hey, maybe some of the younger linebackers can get in there who can work some things in coverage. I mean, we haven't seen a whole bunch of Derek Wingo this year. That might be that's asking a lot for him to come in this game and play any type of meaningful amount of snaps. That's a bit much. But um, I think that's the game plan for Georgia. Um, Georgia wants to control the ball. They definitely don't want to get into a, a, a shootout with us. Uh, they don't have the ability to keep and go up and down the field and turn this thing into no 37-34 type of game. They don't want to. They don't want to do that. So I think that's Kirby's game plan. Um, Florida defensively, it'll be interesting to see can they get a pass rush on Georgia's offensive line. That still that unit is still very 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 good. Maybe the second best offensive line in the league behind Alabama. They will run the ball. They can get holes and they can they can pass protect. So can we get a pass rush? Can we get after the quarterback? That'll be interesting to see because the past last couple of years against Jeff um, Jake Jake Fromm, we um was it Jake? It's Jake Fromm, yeah. This damn benchmark is really good. But um Jake Fromm, yeah, he was untouched. And he had all the time in the world to do what he needs to do to throw the ball down the field. Can we get after the pass rush without having to send a blitz? Without having to send the house. Um Stetson Bennett seems to be a guy that uh can, you know, do, he does better against man coverage than zone coverage. You know, man coverage is pretty, you know, quote-unquote simple to read. So, we'll see if we'll throw a lot more zone and give him different looks. Well, he has to sit in the pocket and have to go through some progressions and go one to two to three. I want to see if we can do that. Big game, big game, big game for the uh, SEC East. And it's a game that Dan Mullen absolutely has to have because um, without that game, there will be problems. Problems, 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 problems in Gainesville. No, he's not going to get fired. No, he's not on the hot seat or anything like that. But you have to deal with a lot of disgruntled boosters, a lot of disgruntled fans. He understands this. He knows what's at stake. 
Um, but can he get it done? Can this defense get a pass rush? Can they stop the run? We had a really good game against Missouri. Can they do it again? I don't know. We'll see. I mean, I'm a little hesitant to go that far because, again, let's look at LSU. And I'll be speaking on them later. Look at LSU against South Carolina. Their defense came and was able to hold up pretty well after they got given up a lot of points their first couple of games, Missouri and Mississippi State. And then they held it down against South Carolina. And then we saw what happened against them against Auburn. Yeah. Uh, Jury's still out. We'll see. Big game. Gator Nation. We need this game. That's my uh, keys to the game. Haven't even gotten to any turnovers. We'll see what happens with that football game. Moving on, guys. Moving on. Now, the next segment of our lovely podcast. Pull the curtain back. One of my favorite parts of this podcast. Pull the curtain back. This in this segment, we like to look, take a deep dive, look into the reasons or what's going on with a certain situation. Could be a program, could be a team, could be a player. We're going to take a deep dive and really look into some things and hopefully provide some insight to you that either maybe you just didn't see, didn't recognize, or didn't think of. It's Thanksgiving time, guys. What do we do with Thanksgiving time? Eat turkey, dressing, candy yams, sweet potato pie, cranberry, all that good stuff. Uh, green beans, green bean casserole, that's some good stuff. All the just beautiful food that you eat at Thanksgiving. And one of the biggest things that people do on Thanksgiving after they eat that big meal is what? You go lay down and take a nap. Take that nice nap. That food digest has got you all good and tired. You feel so good. And I know some people, after they wake up from that nap, you know what they do? They go back and get some more food. And they fill their belly up. And then go back to sleep again. Fill that belly up. They're nice and content. Your inhibitions are lowered. You're just chilling. Where am I going with this? LSU. They won the championship last year. Coach O, the LSU Tigers, 2019 champions. Went undefeated. Loved everywhere in the state. Coach O, you could do no wrong. Pats on the back, parades, we love you. Free meals everywhere. You did it. You beat Bama. You took down Saban on your way to a ship. You took down Dabo and Clemson on the way to the ship. You did it in the the Louisiana Superdome. Now, I'm not going to call it Mercedes Superdome. The Louisiana Superdome. Did it at home, down the street from Baton Rouge. You could do no wrong, Coach O. LSU, you could do no wrong. Off-season, pats on the back, data boys, all that great stuff. We know about it, guys. We saw it. We, we heard it. You know, ESPN, Scott Van Pill. You get all this. You get all the. Victors get, victors get the spoils, right? So they got all of it. They got all of it during the off-season. Beautiful thing. Beautiful thing. So as we move through the off-season, 
Of course, we have players declaring for the draft. A lot of talent leaving. And one thing that was a kind of a caveat during the offseason, you listen to the LSU fan base, was, well, it was the one, well, I'll take this back. It was two things. One was, well, we're the best team ever. This is the best team ever. Nobody can ever take that away from us. Best team ever. Go down in history as the best team ever. No one can take that away from us. And the second caveat was, hey, no Joe Brady, no um, no um, no Aranda, no Coach Aranda, defensive coordinator. The OC gone and Joe Brady. I'm sorry. Passing coordinator. I get corrected by LSU fans. They go, Steve Insmager is the uh, offensive coordinator. Joe Brady was the passing coordinator. No Joe Brady. No coach around on the defensive coordinator side. No problem. We'll still have Steve Ensminger running the offense, and we'll just go ahead and hire Bo Pelini, and we're good to go. Let's keep this thing rolling. No Joe Burrow? No problem. We got Miles Brennan. Keep it rolling. And we'll fill in all these other players, all these other positions that we lost. Class, uh, it was Elair and the receivers, and all that. we're good. All right, that's fine. So, Coach O's is enjoying himself over the offseason, you know. Got a divorce, he filed for divorce. Now, I'm not gonna get into what, what, what was what, but the fact is, he did file for divorce. He's out in these in streets living his single life these days, you know. Y'all saw the pictures, y'all saw it. He, he hanging out. That he hanging out, that, and I'm referencing Thanksgiving. His belly full, y'all. His belly is full. He hanging out. He is chilling. He is enjoying the fruits of his labor. That's what he's doing right now. Hanging out with his little girlfriend, taking pictures, having a post and stuff. You know, that's usually reserved to the Cliff Clingsberries of the world, the Lane Kiffins of the world. You know, you kind of try to leave that for the the what thirty old coaches. Late 20, 30-year-old coaches. Well, Coach O wants to partake. Okay. Okay. So, hey, as we move to the season, season time, Coach O says, hey, man, Bo Pelini will have this defense playing even better than Coach Aranda did. That's That was his words before the season started. This defense is terrible. This defense is absolutely, this defense is absolutely terrible. And the thing that's the thing that if you're an LSU fan that has to be frustrated is that you're not terrible because you don't have talent. You're not terrible because guys are just outright out out muscling you, out physicaling, out physically you, just out athleting you. No, you have the athletes. You have NFL, you have NFL players on that defense, but. <laughs> You have a you have a you have a defense coordinator right now that um for all intents and purposes cannot cannot coach. When I say cannot coach, he can he he does not know how to individually be a technician of coaching. It's one thing to call a play, that's one thing. But to be a technician of coaching is is another thing. When you look at this team, that Mississippi State game, they gave up what, 45 points? What was it, 30, 40, 45 points, 45? 
44, 45 points against Mississippi State. I think since that game, Mississippi State has scored two touchdowns the rest of the season. And they have been a train wreck. Missouri put up 45 on LSU. Dudes running up and down the field. Doing what they want. Passing, running, throwing, whatever they want to do. That's the obvious stuff, right, guys? That's obvious. But let's break it down a little bit. These players opting out. Let's go back a little bit. The Kerry Vincent of the world. What's Kerry Vincent opting out for? Kerry Vincent is not good enough to opt out. I'm sorry. Tyler Shelvin. You're 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 a talented prospect. You're not good enough to be opting out. Why are you leaving? Yeah, I know they changed the scheme. I know. They they going from a 3-4 to a 4-3, and that doesn't really fit your 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 uh, skill set per se. But why are you leaving? Jamar Chase. Now I can go on the record right here with Jamar Chase. Jamar Chase left that team for an undisclosed reason. And has there's it's more to it than just Oh, I want to get ready for the NFL, and I don't want to get hurt. Oh, it's more to it than that. I'm leaving it at that. I don't want to use this part to tell all the all the business. But that, you know what that tells you? Hold on, I'm, I'm not even gonna say that right now. Hold on. We discussed Kevin and Tyler Shelvin, Jamar Chase. Here's another thing. Check this out. LSU just got a big time recruit in the Sage Ryan kid. Who's from Lafayette, down the street from Baton Rouge, 45 minutes. Five-star safety, maybe regarded one of the, the best safety in the United States. Got him from Alabama. It was an LSU-Bama fight. Okay, on the surface, that's good. LSU got that. Very, very good. What's the, what's the problem? Let me tell you what the problem is. That kid was a Bama lean for quite a while. Okay, you say, well, that's not a big deal, right? This kid is cousins with Trev Falk. Trev Falk used to play for LSU. Trev Falk is related to Kevin Falk, the running back, former running back at LSU, who is now, what, the running back coach at LSU. They're all related. Trev Falk went to LSU. Kevin Falk is on the coaching staff. And this kid was a lean to Saban. Let me add to the caveat to this. When Nick Saban took the job at LSU, Trev Falk left, went to the draft, primarily because he didn't want to deal with Saban. He didn't have a very good relationship with Saban. Obviously, it wasn't a very long relationship. Because he probably came in and he had a little conversation, whatever, whatever. And Trev said, I'm gone. I ain't dealing with no uh, Nick Saban. And I'm pretty sure their relationship probably was left right there. So you have a kid that's related to two Falk brothers. Two no, brothers, two Falk cousins. They're all related. LSU's right off the street. And Bama is in the lead for this kid for quite some time. We have a culture problem, guys. We have, we have a culture problem going on right here in the LSU program. There's a culture issue going on in the program. Think about this. These players opting out. You have this stud player that's in high school that's basically about to go to Bama. I don't know what LSU did. They they, we, they probably did some under the table stuff to get the kid to come to LSU. He was heading to Bama. 
and you have all this around you in regards to Trev Falk, Kevin Falk, and you still say, I'm going to go to Alabama, there's a culture problem, guys. Anyone tell me, anyone may tell you, fully illustrate why you have a culture problem? Then there's Auburn game. When you're getting beat 48 to 11 or 48 to 3, whatever the score was at this time, you got kids on the sideline laughing, clowning, cutting it up on the sideline in a blowout. John Emery on the side, on sitting on the bench, laughing and clowning in a blowout. He don't care. Because guess what? Your coach ate well. He got fattened up for Thanksgiving. So again, his inhibitions are low. He don't care. It's like whatever. And when you have that mentality as a head coach, it permeates itself all the way down through the team. That's why you have kids sitting on the sideline saying, hey, it's all good, man. We won last year. You can't take this championship away from us. We won. We're the, one of the great. We're the greatest team ever. We won. You can't take it away from us. But you're living off your past past accomplishments, and that's the difference between a, a single good team and a dynasty. Because you're living off your past accomplishments, and now you just you're chilling. You relax. It's whatever. And that's the culture you brought down now going through the program. Maybe that's some of the reasons why the kids opted out. You know? Maybe that's some of the reasons why, you know, hey, the Tyler Shelton's of the world, the Kerry Vincent's of the world said, man, we're gone. Maybe, maybe not. I suspect personally, let's say Tyler Shelton, Kerry Vincent, you got Bo Pelini coming in and he a loud mouth. He run his mouth. He a loud mouth. He hooping and hollering. Nobody want to hear all that. And we're not good. And you're not coaching us. And we're out of position. Now, I'm not going to leave this all on Bo Pelini because some of these guys are missing tackles. Some of these guys aren't making plays. Bo Nick's dragging Jacoby Stevens into the end zone. That, that's, that's, not, that's not a Bo Pelini problem. That's a player problem. But it all, it all, it all runs down. And the difference between, let's say, a coach Ogeron and a Nick Saban is that when Saban was a championship, the next day he's out recruiting. When Coach Ogeron was a national championship, he's out hanging out, having dinner, trying to meet his next girlfriend. That's your problem. And when your coach is doing that, what you think your player is going to do? And now you see where you're at right now. So people wonder, why is LSU where they are? This is why they're where they are. It all starts with the head guy. It all starts with the culture. It's also with your head guy that he ain't got fattened up as if you had that big fat lunch and all you want to do is lay down and sleep. I ain't going to worry about working. I ain't going to worry about this. I, I'll worry about it later. And when you hire your D-line coach to be your head coach of your program, you have to be mindful that, guess what? If you have a problem in season, he he isn't equipped to fix it. Coach Ogeron is a recruiter and a motivator. He can't fix it. So, when he makes a good hire, it's going to look good. Aranda, Joe Brady looks good. When he makes a bad hire, Matt Canada, bad hire. Bo Pelini, bad hire. And notice, when he makes a bad hire, he has to eat it. He can't fix it. He isn't a savior that can go in and say, hey, look, in midseason, let me call the plays. Let's do this. Let's do that. Because he's not equipped to do that. That's not his thing. He's never even been a defensive coordinator ever. He's a delegator. You have a problem here. You have a problem. It can be fixed. Don't get me wrong. But taking a deep dive of what's going on with this situation, 
this, this team, this, your, your head coach has gotten fat. He's fattened up on his championship and it's permeated all the way down to the players. And you can see it in the way they're behaving, the way they're acting. You don't even see Coach O get mad anymore on the sideline. They got a championship. He like he's it's like he's it's good. He's not even upset. You have when's the last time you saw him yell at somebody, get frustrated, get mad, or he's just on the sideline, just whatever. And in the Monday morning con- Monday morning press conference, it's like <laughs> wash, rinse, repeat. Yeah, the team didn't play well. Uh, it's on me. He said that the past what four or five weeks. It's on me. Well, no, Coach. It's not. It is on you, but it's on some other people too. And I don't know who you're holding accountable, and I don't know if he's just sitting back, eating his Thanksgiving dinner, getting fat, relaxing, enjoying, you know, the spoils of last year. Like I always said, winning a winning a championship is not easy, but maintaining and winning back to back and defending your championship is a lot more difficult. A lot more difficult. That's why we only have a few, few programs that are able to do such a thing. That's the deep dive, guys. That's the um, pull the curtain back. Pull the curtain back. I hope I brought you some information that you can um, look into and just pay attention to it moving forward. Because speaking of moving forward, um, LSU has an off week. And guess what? They got Bama. And (laughs) Saban is coming to town with an ax. To grind. He remembers what happened last year. He remembers LSU players running all over the field, going into the student section, cutting up. He remembers all of that. And Saban's memory is very good. He has an axe to grind. And do not think for a second he's going to come down here and just try to win a 21-7 game and get out of here. He has a point to prove. And he has recruits in LSU he needs to get, in Louisiana he needs to get. I'm interested to see how LSU responds. They have the talent to hang in this game a little bit. They're not going to beat Alabama. We know this. But they 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 have the talent to not get beat 48 to 11. There's no, no, no team should be getting beat 48 to 11 in an SEC contest unless you're Vanderbilt or unless you're playing against a Bama team that has a point to prove. Now, the scary thing is they're playing Bama, and they might have a point to prove <laughs> come next week. So um, let's see how these guys respond because I tell you what, if Saban's has players, if Saban's losing 48-11, you ain't going to see no um, player on the sideline laughing and joking and cutting up, cutting up like that. That'll never happen. But your head coach and Coach O allows it and lets it go. And this is why you have the incompetence on the field and people don't know where to line up because, hey, what's the accountability? Hey, coach shows the players coach. Yeah, players coach is the gift and the curse sometimes. You got to be careful with that because <laughs> the players coach is all buddy-buddy. When you try to discipline them, <laughs> that doesn't always go over too well. Let's see how this works moving forward. Moving on, guys. So then Pinnacle moment. I know I'm running a little long. This is going to be relatively quick. So then Pinnacle moment. I was watching my Dallas Cowboys, and I might just say right now that Zeke isn't what he used to be. He's a solid back, good back. He's not trash. He's not washed, but he isn't that guy he was four years ago. He can't. He can't give you the home run hit. He can get you seven yards, eight yards, turn out eleven yards. Right now, a twenty yard run for him is like wow. You broke one. He he isn't that guy anymore. 
I don't know if he's put on a couple extra pounds. I don't know if it's just the workload's getting to him. But he's not in the Barkley, Saquon Barkley, McCaffrey, Kamara, Derrick Henry. No, he's not in that class at all. And, I, and what I re, when I realized it, this is when I realized it. I was watching the Sunday night game. He came out and they put Tony Pollard in. And Tony Pollard hit the hole and got in and out of there so fast. He almost like he was about to, almost about to break it. I was like, wow. You just saw such a distinct difference in acceleration and explosiveness between the backup running back and Zeke. That's when I realized, wow, this guy ain't, ain't what he used to be. Still a good back. Don't get me wrong. Um, he, he's not worth the money he's getting right now, obviously, at all. And that's that's probably going to head into another subject. But he uh he right now he is basically a James Conner for the Steelers. James Conner is a nice, solid, good back. Like really, yeah, really good back. And that's what I would classify him as right now. You're James Conner. Like you're you're good, you're hard nosed, run hard, get the yards, and that's good. But you're not he's not the game breaker. He's not that that guy. So um that's so independent thought. I didn't really want to admit that. I kind of wanted to keep believing that he was that dude, that he was elite. But um, right now, he's not elite anymore. hes I hate to say it. He may be. He's not quite Todd Gurley-ish, but he's kind of drifting into the Todd Gurley range now where it's like you're a nice, good, serviceable, solid bag. And that's a lot of money to pay a nice, serviceable, solid bag. Oof, that's tough. Gotta take my medicine on that one. Hold on, I gotta take a drink on that one, y'all. That was mm, hard to deal with there. Real hard. Moving on, guys. We're almost about to get out of here. I just want to hit on a couple of more things. Look, the draft, the NBA draft, November 18th. Let's see what Golden State does. I wonder what they're gonna do. They want to get out of that pick. I'm pretty curious to see what tricks they have up their sleeve. My Sixers. They will be active. I'm interested to see what they're gonna do. They have the they have the Thunder's pick. I think it's number twenty. Um, I'm interested to see what they do in regards to this roster draft night. It'd be quite um quite interesting again to see. But they would def- definitely will not be staying status quo with that roster. But yeah, November 18th draft night. That is what um in about. Two weeks from today. Well, no, 14, yeah, two weeks from today. So, we'll be checking that out. Um, My sneaky game of the week. I have a sneaky game of the week. I'll say sneaky. I'm sorry. Sneaky good game of the week. Indiana, Michigan. I really want to see this game. This is a really good game. Because you have a really good Indiana team. That's a good quarterback. Good coach. Nice team. You have a Michigan team that, what do you make of them? Blasted Minnesota, lost to Michigan State. I Harbaugh, Harbaugh is, ah, he's on the hot seat a bit here. It'll be really interesting to see how does Michigan Michigan respond on the road against an Indiana team that's really good. This is a sneaky good game because I'm really curious and interested to see how both teams perform with quote unquote such expectations on their back. Indiana with. You know, they're expected to win this game. They're walking this game expecting to win. Michigan, of course, they're playing Indiana. Of course, they expect to win this game. 
So you have two teams that expect to win, two teams that are capable of winning. This is a sneaky good game. You know, we got the cocktail party. You know, you got Clemson and Notre Dame. But this Indiana-Michigan game is sneaky, sneaky, sneaky good. I want to check this out and see how both of these teams respond. Last but not least, it's Wednesday night, guys. Um, I'm almost finished up my benchmark. I need to go get me something to eat. Brother's getting hungry. But it's Mac action tonight, guys. The Mac. This was a really great idea what these guys did. This is a Wednesday night. There's really nothing else on. The entire conference are playing games tonight. This is really, really good. This is whoever the commissioner is. I ain't looked it up. Whoever the commissioner is, this was a brilliant idea. This was this was freaking brilliant. Now they stayed waited too late to get started, but when they did, they did it correctly. This is this is this is a brilliant idea. Middle of the week and play the entire conference. This is brilliant. This is a really great idea. I'm looking forward to seeing who will be on TV. I want to check some of these games out. But the one game I'll give y'all guys a nugget, even though by the time you hear this, it'll be over. My nugget, I like Ball State. Ball State's going to Miami, Ohio. Let me get Ball State. I think they're dogs. Either they're one, I have to look at me. Either they're one point dog or it's a pick them. Not sure what it is right now. Uh, give me Ball State. I like Ball State in this game. Um, I'm not going to go into the particulars why because I don't want to bore you. But Mac action tonight. Brilliant idea by the commissioner. Playing all their games one night. Wednesday night Mac action. Check out Ball State. That's my pick. They're going to get the W. We will revisit it next week. Hey, y'all. It's been cool. It's been a pleasure. I'm going to hang off a little bit. Go get me something to eat. And see what else going on with this election, man. This is crazy. Y'all be safe out here, man. These people are crazy, crazy, crazy. Let me tell you this before I go. I was helping helping a friend of mine out with the election, and they had this Trump guy at the corner near one of the election polls out there walking around with a gun. I think like with an AK, an AK assault rifle, just walking around. And this is the tripped out part. They called the cops, right? The cops said, well, Louisiana's an open carry state. They can't do nothing to them. We live in a crazy world, y'all. It is crazy. And if this thing goes by the way, it's going to get even more crazy. Y'all be safe. Y'all be good. And guess what? If you can't be good, be good at it. I'm a holler. What's up, my people? You know what it is. You know what it is. Rose. That's Rose in the background. But this your boy right now. Big R. A.K.A. Ron. A.K.A. Jerome. A.K.A. Killer Kyle. A.K.A. Scheming Daniel. A.K.A. Mr. Will Route. A.K.A. Don 14 No Problem. 18 Mr. Heisman. Talk to me, Rick. 16. It ain't enough, y'all. Y'all hear that? 16 ain't enough, y'all.
beat these boys. 44 28. 16 ain't enough, y'all. We should have beat them by more. It ain't enough. You say it in Rick. Hey. Yeah. Oh, y'all. The vibes are so good, y'all. The vibes are so good right here in South Florida. Hey, the vibes are good in South Florida, North Florida, Central Florida. Shoot, everywhere. We out here, y'all. We out here. We did what we had to do, y'all. Big time. Big time shit. It was that time, y'all. It was that time for Daniel Mullen to put it all together and get this W. And guess what? You saw it. You saw it. I'm, I'm going to get to the recap a little bit. I'm not going to get all extensive into the XYZ. You saw what happened. You saw it. The world saw it. It was a great display. Offense. Rolling. We're doing what we do, man. We're doing what we do. This is one of the most prolific offenses in the nation. Hands down. No question. Making it happen against a very, very good defense. Granted, I'm gonna give you I'm gonna give you credit. You know what I'm saying? Credit to the George defense in regards to they there. There are some people missing. I understand that. Some of the D, D tackles were missing. Safety was missing. They had a couple of people missing. Big time players, but hey, Georgia recruits five stars. So those five stars that came out of the game that were hurt, they put more four and five stars in the game to replace them. That is what it is. With all that being said, we came in that mug, came to Jville, cocktail party, y'all, took care of business. A game Daniel Mullen absolutely had to have. Had to have, and he got it. He had to have it, and he got it done. That's the important thing. Winning the games you absolutely have to have. He made it happen, y'all. I'm not like I said. I'm not gonna get into all into the particulars of the game because we obviously watched it. But um, there are two really important things I want to point out in that game that really stood out to me. That maybe the average fan did recognize uh, the line of scrimmage. If you pay attention to that line of scrimmage, the offensive line of the, of the Gators really played physical. They didn't blow Georgia's D-line off the line. No, they're not that talented. But they held their own. At worst-case scenario, they provided stalemates. And there were situations where they were able to reestablish a new line of scrimmage one yard, two yards down the line, downfield. Down which is very, very important because now you're having a level of being able to impose your will. And that's important to be able to do that when you're a passing team. That's that's tells me a lot. That tells me this is a team that was a that, that was the old line group that was like, we're sick of this. We're about to lay our foot down and show these boys <laughs> it's our time. I saw that. Very, very, very impressive. Defensive line, again, very stout. Gave up that first run where basically, you know, you guys didn't get in position and didn't get lined up, squared up. After that run, what, Georgia had like, what, 90 rushing yards the entire game? Very, very good. Very, 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 very good job by my D-line. 
the rest of the game. And hey, man, it was kind of play. And this was the game they had to have, and they got it. They had to have it, and they got it. Impressive, 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 impressive. And hey, the future's a bright gain nation. Nick Savage, what you doing with these guys in regards to the weight room? And you turn, you see this team turn the corner. Yeah, they turn the corner because you can see now that as you watch throughout that game, pay attention, watch the game again. You had a lot of Georgia players on the ground to play over with uh, Georgia got hurt. Another Georgia got hurt because now we're starting to lay our physicality on them. We are starting to show our strength. We're starting to show, hey, our strength and conditioning is now starting to turn the corner where we're starting to impose our will on people. Very, very big, very, very, very big deal. Usually takes two to three years before your strength and conditioning program starts to really start to make headway. I saw it. I saw it in Jacksonville. The headway with that with that squad in regards to just overall physicality. Future's bright. The future is very, very bright. Big win for us guys. Big, big win. Um, it's like I said, it's time now for us to move forward and take care of the rest of the schedule and do what we need to do. Um, that, that's all I can really say about it. I mean, things are out there in front of you. Take care of business and do what you need to do. You'll be double digit favorites with everybody else you play moving forward. So if that's the case, take care of your business and just Rick Ross's thing. Come on, Rick. Y'all hear that? Yeah. All right, let me start. Let me start. Rick and Andre about to cut up. Rick and Andre cutting up. They cutting up. So, next week, hey, I'm sorry, not next week. Well, yeah, next week, technically. Over your Franks come to town, Felipe. Much love for you, Felipe, but hey, man, you got to catch this fade, bro. We got things to do. Night game in the swamp, 6 o'clock Central Time, 7 o'clock Eastern Time. Um, you going to have to catch this, dog. I mean, we got things to do, and you in our way. Nothing personal, but like I said, hey, we got to play our game, do what we do, and keep this ball rolling. You know, we appreciate everything Felipe's done for the program. And it's all good, but <laughs> we got bigger things to strive for right now. And you're in our way. So you're going to, you're going to catch these hands real quick. And um, don't take them personally, homeboy. Get a nation. going to play Arkansas. It's going to be a good team, very, very well coached team. And as you see, I'm moving forward right now with the preview. It's not going to be much of a preview, but um, we do what we need to do. Take care of our business. We'll be fine. And we should win this game. I'm looking at a game that, uh, let's see, it has 42-27 written over it, 42-30-ish type of game. I can see that late score going on. Um, it, it, it has that vibe to it. So I think that um, 
we'll um, do what we need to do. And um, it may interest to see if Kyle Pitts plays. I'm getting some vibes that Pitts will play. We're going to see. I'm getting some vibes that Pitts is going to get out there and be on the field. And I think even if he does play, he's not going to play a whole lot. Um, that was a devastating hit he took in that game. That was a crazy hit. Um, so um, we'll, we'll, we'll see how it goes. We'll see. But I, I'm getting advised that he'll play. We'll see. Even if he does play, I don't think he'll play a whole lot. But I think he'll play enough to um, make an impact on the game. Um, Gators, 42. Pigs, 27. That's what I'm seeing right there. To the jo- Let me ask you real quick, guys. Georgia quarterback room. What's the problem? This is, you know, I'm, I'm a Gator guy. So I'm not going to spend too much time talking about Georgia. But... All the recruiting titles that this team wins, all the accolades they get, all the talent they bring in. Why is that quarterback room so bad? You have Stetson Bennett back there that is basically a glorified walk-on. And Kirby is all in with him. (laughs) I mean, he is all in with this guy. Why? I have no idea. I mean, I get it. He's a walk-on, and Kirby was a walk-on at Georgia, and maybe feels a little sympathetic and feels he sees some Stetson in him and wants to stick with him. But to get to where you want to get to in this day and age, that guy's not going to get you to the promised land. Don't get me wrong. I ain't got no problem with him. Keep running his ass out there. That is fine. But you spend this energy and time to go get you JT Daniels, five-star quarterback from USC, and he's on your bench holding a clipboard. What's that about? You went and spent your energy to get Jamie Newman, who's getting all these Heisman odds. He's gone. Now, I'm going to say this is Jamie Newman. Inside information. I'm going to give you all some inside information. This is Jamie Newman, Jamie Newman situation. I think he looked, I'm going to say I think, but kind of a lot of little inside information. He, he looked at his offense, his pro-style offense, and he felt that, you know what, or his people, his representation, he got to get out of there because that situation was not going to enhance his pro-prospect Elevation And If you think about it guys Sometimes Some of the worst things you can do Is put Bad tape On top of good tape He had decent tape at Wake Forest He wasn't a world beater or anything of that, of that nature But if you'd have ran him out there With Georgia And he put bad tape Or okay tape With better talent around him what does that say for him? He may have realized, you know what? Let me just <laughs> cut my losses and go train for the draft and let these uh, <laughs> GMs and scouts look at my Wake Forest tape. Because if you look at this Georgia offense, there's nothing about that offense that makes you say, wow, this is really conducive to a quarterback. 
it's starting to come together. It's starting to make a little sense now, guys. You think about this thing. What is Kirby doing? What is Kirby doing with his quarterbacks? He had uh, this guy that's quarterback in that Ohio State right now. Uh, what's his name? Justin. Justin. What? Justin Fields. Oh yeah, I hear he's pretty good. Yeah. Um. He let him go for Jake Fromm. He let Jacob Eason roll out and go back to Washington for Jake Fromm. Jake, I mean Jacob Eason got drafted ahead of Jake Fromm. So what's that about? Well, he was in bed with Jake Fromm for a little bit because you got to keep in mind Jake Fromm was actually. Going to Alabama. He was going to go to Alabama. What happened was. When Kirby got the Georgia job. Kirby. Befriended Jake Fromm. Said it basically. Hey come on Georgia. So now you make a deal with the devil. Per se. Because. Well shucks. He he just can't tell him to come to Georgia. To come, to come quote unquote compete. Basically, get his job. Now it was Eason's job for a second till he got hurt. He let Fromm get it without a rap. So, uh, like I said, I don't spend too much time on Georgia, but Kirby, <laughs> Kirby, going to figure some things out because he sounds like he's really stubborn. He's running his pro style offense, and he wants to stick with what he knows. You got to have flexibility. You got to have flexibility with what's going on with your situation. And mm, he's not showing it right now. That's the great thing about saving. Saving what he's doing with his offense right now. He's adjusting. He he doesn't like it, but he understands what he needs to do to win. That's the greats do. Moving forward, guys. Real quick, talk about my Cowboys. Dallas Cowboys. Good job. Y'all hung in there. Gave the Steelers a tough game, but fell short. Usually, bad teams either find ways to lose or even the luck just doesn't go their way. And in that game, that was pretty much how that shook out. Had some bad luck. Some bad things happened. Some late in that game. Bad calls. I'm I'm sorry. Questionable calls. That's what they call it now. Questionable. Instead of saying it's a bad, they call it questionable. Because basically, a questionable call is a bad, a bad call. Questionable calls late in that game. But what I'm seeing with this team is that once they made some cuts, some of the younger guys are playing. We get to see what we have. It'll be interesting to see what we have moving forward. It's about a week. Hopefully, nobody gets COVID during the bye week and does no crazy shit. Um, but hey, it is what it is. We'll hang in there next week's next week. And you know what? Don't ask me. I have no idea who the hell we playing next week. And I'm not even gonna look it up right now because I'm trying to get this top three pick. Goddamn Jets could have won the game, but they flackled it out. So um yeah, right now they're still looking at I think the fourth pick in the draft right now. So hopefully um they'll lose the rest of their games and 
hey, maybe they can be in position to ask for a king's ransom. Jerry Jones is working it, and he's working it well. That's what you should do right now. He's saying, hey, Dak is his guy. He's Dak is his guy. And you know why you say that? Because guess what? If you get that second pick in the draft, you can auction it off to the highest bidder. That is going to be, they're going to add, you can ask for King's Ransom with that second pick in the draft. And you say, oh, Dak is our guy. We don't want Justin Fields. There will be a lot of teams that will be willing to give up multiple first-round picks, a couple of second-round picks, a couple of third-round picks for that pick. So, sure, Dak's our guy. That's what you say. I like that. We'll see how it shakes out. We'll see how it shakes out. Moving on, y'all. You know what time it is? Y'all know what time it is? Rick, you know what time it is? Talk to me, Rick. Let's see if Rick going to talk to me. Talk to me, Rick, because you know it's it's still Gator time because we're still celebrating this cocktail party. Talk to me, Rick. Yeah. Let's go, Rick. Uh, 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 uh. I'm enjoying this shit, y'all. You know I'm enjoying this shit. I'm enjoying this shit. I'm sipping on my Lafayette, y'all. Lafayette. It's a cognac. Y'all should enjoy some of that. I didn't get into my drink of the week, but I'm telling y'all now, it's the Lafayette. It's a very good drink. Smooth, tasty. Here's the spot. And right now, as I enjoy my Lafayette, it is PTCB time. Pull the curtain back. Know what it is, y'all. You know what it is. We about to get into a deep dive real quick. I say real quick, but I can get a little long winded. I'm gonna try to. I'm gonna try to keep it, keep it reasonable and shit. Pull the curtain back, which means we're gonna go past the obvious. We're gonna go look deep dive into a situation. The title of this week. This is the week. This this is the title of this week. I want y'all pay attention to this. You are only as good as who you surround yourself with. Think about that. You're only as good as who you surround yourself with. That's 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 the title of Pull the Curtain Back. Ah, it's a good drink. What does that mean? You're only as good as you're only as good as who you surround yourself with. Look at these teams right now. The good teams and the bad teams. The teams that are struggling. The teams that are doing well. People say, well, what's the problem? The coach is a problem. Sure, the coach is a problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's easy. It's easy to say that. Coach is a problem. Sure, the coach is a problem. But guess what? A lot of times, these teams that are struggling is not only so much about the coach, but it's who is around the coach is what's causing the problem. Give you an example. It's going to be a simple, easy example. Good old Nick Saban. Saban's a great coach, obviously. But Saban's also surrounding himself around great assistants. He's had Kirby Smart for how many years? A bunch of a bunch, a bunch, a bunch of years. Before he left. Offensive coordinator. He's had Lane Kiffin. He's He has um, Steve Sarkeesian. 
he surrounds himself around great, great assistants that help him, assist him, that puts his team in the best position to win. Moving, look, look at Notre Dame. Look at Brian Kelly. Now, Notre Dame, you have to understand, is a very, very challenging place to win because of the academics. They can't just get any and everybody to come there and play at Notre Dame. Brian Kelly, obviously the offensive mind, and he pretty much runs the offense. But defensively, look what he's done. He got your boy Elko from Wake Forest. Got him to come in there and establish that defense. Now, Elko's left and gone to Texas A&M. You see the translation there. Look at what Texas A&M is doing right now with Jimbo. But he, Elko left Texas, I mean, Elko left um, Notre Dame, and it has a guy, David Lee, and he's holding down the defense at Notre Dame. Did you see what they did against Clemson? Surrounding himself around very, very good coaches. Arizona State. Look what Herm Edwards is doing. Do y'all know who his defense coordinator is? Take a guess. Take a guess. Take a guess. Marvin Lewis. Y'all heard of him? Super Bowl winning coach Marvin Lewis? Yeah, that guy. Yeah. The Baltimore Ravens? Yeah, that guy. That's his defensive coordinator. He has, he has Kevin Mawai on his offensive coordinator staff. I don't think he's the OC. He does something with the offense. I don't know exactly what it is. I didn't do that research. And he has Antonio Pierce. Antonio Pierce, who has a whole lot of NFL pedigree, a very, 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 very good staff. Look at Arkansas, Sam Pittman. He is in position right now to be coach of the year, not only in the SEC, but right now he can challenge for a national coach of the year. How do you figure he get that? He surrounded himself with great assistants. Barry Odom. Oh, Mr. Odom. Defensive coordinator, former head coach. Has that defense playing well. Getting the most out of his players. And, you know, Barry will be head coach and be running the team when they bring that squad down to Gainesville this year. Offensively, Kendall Browse. A talented guy. Very skilled. Knowledgeable, intelligent, OC guy. He is surrounding himself around what? Great assistance. You're only as good a lot of times, most times, as the people you surround yourself around. So people say, wow, why is the team so good? Oh, Saban's just great. Guess what? Saban surrounds himself around very talented people. Brian Kelly surrounds himself around talented people. Dabble. I didn't even mention Dabble yet. Dabble Sweeney. Dabble Sweeney is not an X and O guy, but he surrounds himself around Brent Venables, defensive coordinator. He has surrounded himself around the Chad Morses of the world. Puts himself around great people and is able to delegate and recruit and motivate and let them take the lead in certain things. I already told you about Herm. I told you about Pittman. 
the good, the great coaches, that's what they do. They do certain, they do things like that. It's not just about them. It's about, hey, who I put myself around? Who do I surround myself around? Now, that works both ways. You have the good. <sighs> Unfortunately, you have the bad. You pull the curtain back. What's going on in Michigan? What's the problem? You know what the problem is? You say, well, Jim Harbaugh's a problem. Well, yeah, he is the problem. Is you, do you know why Jim Harbaugh is the problem? Because Jim Harbaugh has not surrounded himself around an effective staff. He struggled with the offensive coordinator. He has Josh Geddes now. Now, this is the irony. Josh Geddes was actually on Bama staff. And Saban got rid of him because you guess you know why? Because Saban realized this isn't working. I'm gonna find something that does work. It is a very unique thing to even understand that even though you may have something that works, you may encounter a situation when things do not work. But the ability to correct it, the ability to fix it, you can fix it on the chalkboard, on the whiteboard, or you can fix it hiring-wise. That's what Saban did because his Gaddis kid was actually on Saban's staff at one time. And he got rid of him because he said, you know, this isn't working. I'm going to find somebody that does work. Harbaugh is having problems offensively right now. And if you watch that offense, he wants to run power. He wants to run certain things that right now, really in this day and age, just doesn't really, really, really work. When he was at his peak, he had Vic, Van, Vic Fangio. He had Greg Roman. Guess what? Vic Fangio is the coach of the Denver Broncos. Doing well. Greg Roman. Power run, run option. You know what Greg Roman's on right now? He is the offensive coordinator at, guess what? The Baltimore Ravens. Do you see an irony there? Ravens, Greg Roman, power running, Lamar Jackson. Hmm. Greg Roman, San Francisco, power run, Colin Kaepernick. Irony. You see that? You see the correlation there? When you surround yourself around great staff, things usually tend to work out in your favor. I mean, not Mullen. I'll say Mullen shucks. Harbaugh, he's struggling right now. And part of his struggle is he has not found an offensive identity that he can stick with and be consistent with. Jeremy Pruitt. Look at Jeremy Pruitt in Tennessee right now. They are struggling right now. Why? Because he's struggling with his hires. Look at his hires. He fired his D-line coach a couple of weeks ago. Why? I don't know. Well, well, okay. Well, we do kind of know some philosophy um, disagreements. He had another offensive, co- um, offensive. I'm co- not an offensive coach. He had another assistant coach during the Arkansas game. Curse him out during the game. Did y'all know this? Told the the the, the assistant coach told 
Jeremy Pruitt, the head coach, that he was going to kick his ass. This is in the game. They're playing Arkansas. He told him, I'm going to kick your ass. That's a problem. You're only as good as the people you surround yourself with. Do you, you wonder why Tennessee's having problems? Look at that. You wonder why Michigan's having problems? Look at that. I have another example. South Carolina. They have no business losing to Texas A&M 48-3. to But guess who must champ surrounds himself with? Ineffective coordinators. And this has been a trend with much champ. I'm a gator guy. You know, you know I get down with my gators. So I've seen this act before. When he was at UF, he had what? Great defenses. You didn't have to worry about the defenses. The problem was the offense. And all the time he was at UF, he had Charlie Weiss as an offensive coordinator. He had Brent Peace as an offensive coordinator. He had Kirk Roper as an offensive coordinator. You see the trend? He can't figure it out, and he can't fix it. He's gone to uh, South Carolina. Guess what? For whatever reason, he hired Kurt Roper back to be the offensive coordinator again. He failed at Florida, but for whatever reason, he'll hire him again. He can't figure it out. He can't fix it because he's not making the correct hires. He can't get the correct people around him to make this thing work. Pull the curtain back, y'all. This is called pull the curtain back. You look at the coaches and say, oh, they're sucking. They're messing up. They're not doing well. There's a reason they're not doing well. And it's easy to say, oh, well, they're just messing up. Yeah, they're messing up. But guess what? Why are they messing up? That's what we want to know. Why are they messing up? Why are certain coaches doing well and certain coaches aren't? Because the good established coaches can hire good people around them and they maintain consistency. The bad coaches or the coaches that are struggling, say a, I'm going to say a bad coach. Some coaches are pretty good coaches. But the coaches that struggle, that can't get to it, they cannot maximize the full potential of their teams because they don't surround themselves around with excellent and very good assistant coaches. And it rears, a head, it rears its head. And... This isn't a foolproof plan because guess what? Even the good coaches or the great coaches either make mistakes or have problems with some assistance. But we know what they do. They're able to correct it. Saban's has some bad assistant coaches here or there that doesn't work out, but they're able to fix it. That's what the, the great coach is able to fix it. Even Dabo has some struggles to defensive coordinators, but he's able to fix it. He's able to hire the right person to fix it. Brian Kelly, he has some issues here or there, but he's able to get the right guy to fix it. These other coaches that are on the bad side, the Harbaugh, the Jeremy Pruitt, the Muschamps, Michigan, Tennessee, South Carolina, they have made a bad hire, but then they combine it with another bad hire or another bad hire. They can't fix it. They don't know how to fix it. Pull the curtain back, y'all. 
pull the curtain back. You wonder why these teams are well, you wonder why these teams are succeeding year in, year out? Why these coaches are succeeding year in, year out? And you wonder why these, you know, relatively in some people's mind, good coaches or coaches that let's say the jury is out on why they're failing, because they can't fix it. They continue to make the bad hire, the big mistake. And they don't know where to go from from there. This is a new day and age. You only get a couple of years and people are ready to roll you out. So pull the curtain back. Next time somebody asks you what's going on with uh, Michigan, what's their problem, it's easy to say, ah, the players suck. Oh, this guy is not playing well. Yeah, that's that's true. Probably has something to that. No, No doubt about it. But guess what? Somebody's coaching them. Somebody is um <laughs> somebody's working with them. And the head coach is the person that actually, you know, hires that person. So look deep into this thing, y'all. It's 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 more to it than just that. Real talk, real talk. Look, we're about to get out of here. About to get out of here. Um I usually have my sodium pentothal statement, I mean, segment, right? I, I have nothing that day, y'all. I have nothing this week, and I don't want to push the envelope. Nothing really hit me this week. Nothing hit me this week that really got under my uh, crawl, as they call it. But a few things before I get out of here. Two a time. Two a time, two a time. There was such an outrage when Ryan Fitzpatrick got benched. Oh, he shouldn't get benched. It's not right. It's not right. Uh, where, where are those people now? Hello? 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 Where are they at? Where are they at? Brian Flores, head coach of Miami. Keep doing what you're doing, dog. Block out the noise. Stick to your plan. You had a plan. You stick to it. Do not let Twitter, do not let the people fool you. Do not let the people influence you. You had a plan and it's working. Tua's looking good out there. Sure, there'll be some, uh, some ups and downs, but he is the future. You guys in Miami are building something real nice out there. And if you listen to certain people, they'll keep running Ryan Fitzpatrick out there. I don't hear anybody crying for Ryan Fitzpatrick. Nah. To a time, to a time. So we're doing this thing. And they have a certain segment of people that say, hey, he heard. They shouldn't play him. He just take the year off. No. Medical say he's fine. Run him out there. Play him. See what you got. Because as you can see in this game, in this day and age, and even in sports right now, you're not guaranteed tomorrow, y'all. You ain't guaranteed the next season. You ain't guaranteed just because you had a great season this year that it's going to happen the next year. Look at the 49ers. A lot of 49ers fans felt like, oh, this, this we had a fourth quarter leading the Super Bowl. We're going to come back next year and, you know, it'll be all good and we'll be right back. They won't make the playoffs. They won't make the playoffs at all. What does that tell you? It tells you that you have to strike when the iron's hot. You have to go when the moment is there because you ain't promised nothing in this league. And that's what 
to a certain extent, Miami's doing. Ryan Fitzpatrick was what he was, a stopgap. And they had a plan for this all along, no matter what the record was going to be, because two is the future. And he's the future. Let's get him in here now and let's rock and roll with him. Looking good, y'all. I, I like what Miami's doing. I like how they're playing. I like how they're focused. They're playing. This, this guy, Brian Flores, is probably the best. The best, best, best Bill Belichick disciple off his tree. Josh McDaniel, yeah, 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 whatever, whatever, whatever. All other folks. This guy right here. <laughs> Pay attention, y'all. Pay attention. This guy's doing some big things, man. Pay attention. Russell Westbrook. He's, I think he might he might be a pariah. He he might he he might be he might be the plague. He might be COVID. He might be just you don't want to touch him. It's not looking good for Russell Westbrook. It, it really isn't. Um, stats, stats, numbers, and highlights are the gifts and the curse sometimes. I remember what a couple years ago. Was that two, three years ago? Oh man, ESPN, Twitter, the young generation, they were loving Russell Westbrook because he was getting triple doubles. He won the league MVP. He averaged a triple double. Oh my gosh, Russell Westbrook. He is the greatest thing. How does he do this? He's such a great player. That could be a pull the curtains taking back in itself. I'm not going to go there right now. But what I will say is that, hmm, two years later, who wants him? Nobody wants him. You don't hear James Harden saying, oh, Russell's my guy. I'm going to roll with him. You don't hear other teams. You don't hear other superstars saying, oh, I want Russell. On my squad. I need him. He's a great player. Do you hear that? I mean, unless I'm missing something. Do you, anybody hear that? Rick, you hear it? Match Rick. Let me see if Rick, Rick hears it. Rick, you, Rick, you, Rick, Rick, Rick. No, no. Okay, Rick said no. Rick said no. He didn't hear it either. What's the problem? What is the problem? I take it to another level. Check this out. When Kevin Durant left, Kevin Durant got grilled and got hammered, leaving OKC and he leaving Russell. And they were saying, "Well, you got Russell Westbrook. What? What you leaving him for? You got you got a, a superstar right there." Hmm. Was Kevin Durant on or something? It seems like he was because he got ridiculed for leaving Russell Westbrook. But now nah, I don't hear anybody ridicule, ridiculing, ridiculing James Harden for not standing up for Westbrook. I don't hear anybody saying, oh, why people don't want to play Russell Westbrook. Nothing against Westbrook. I think he is an outstanding talent and athlete, but his game is... He's an all-or-nothing game. 
I mean, when he's on, when he when he's on, he's on. You're gonna win. You're gonna do well. He's when he's off, you're gonna lose. But the thing about Russell Westbrook, in my opinion, is that even when he's on, you still may lose. When he's off, you, there's no doubt you're gonna lose. Now, in this league, you have superstars that may have an off game and be off, but they still can win the game. Russell Westbrook is all or nothing, in my opinion. He can't, if he has an off game, you're not winning the game at all. You can have other superstars in this league where they have an off game, but you still pull the win out. And that kind of, in my opinion, happens when you have a ball dominant guy that demands the ball and demands, um, you know, such control. Of everything that goes on, Whew. I I I don't know what's going to happen with Russell Westbrook, and I'm scared to say it because this isn't right. Because he's such a talented, talented, talented guy, but he looked like he's about to head into the world of Michael Beasley. Y'all remember Michael Beasley, the forward K State product. The guy drafted what number two behind um, Derrick Rose in the draft. Michael Beasley is that guy that <laughs> you look at the stat line. You you watch the game with Michael Beasley like you watch him get buckets and score and hoop and in the game with like twenty five points and like nine rebounds and like six assists. You be like, wow, okay. Well, Beasley did his thing, and the team loses by, like, 15 points. <laughs> but you look at the stat like, well, you, you think, well, shit, it wasn't Michael Beasley fault when he did his thing. But if you watch the game, you start to realize, like, damn, who he, he getting his numbers, but who he making better? And that's starting to be the thing about Westbrook. Westbrook will get his stats, and then lose the game by 12 points, and then if you just kind of just... Oh, well, shit. Russell got 26, 26, um, 8 and 7. We did his job. Well, yeah, I guess. But did he make anybody better? Because Superstar's job is it's not only to get buckets, but make your teammates better. Ooh, I... I Kind of, I like, I like, kind of, I like Russell. I hate this form to a certain extent, but to a certain extent, he brought this on himself. This is, ugh, uh, I don't know how this is gonna go, but it's look, it's looking like his days in Houston are numbered significantly. Hey y'all, about to get up out of here. It's been real. Um, I'm checking out the Masters, man. Tiger doing his thing, man. Tiger three shots back. Let's see if we can keep it going. I want some brunch. I want some mimosas. I want some drinks Sunday morning. I want to be able to hang out and have Tiger in running for this thing. I, I want to see. It's the Masters, you know, and, you know, I, I want Tiger to be a part of this thing and have his uh, name up in the uh, leaderboard and be ready to make a run at this thing. So, Tiger. Starting off well, keep it going, keep it pushing. I'm pulling for you, dog. And uh, I want to have some shit to root for on Sunday because, hell, the Cowboys ain't playing. 
And uh, yeah, I want to be have some shit to pull for. So keep it keep it rolling on Tiger. Hey, I'm about to get up out of here. Y'all be cool. Like I said, drink for the night was a lie. Fiat. You see the abbreviation lie. Fiat. That's how it goes. Um, y'all be cool. It's been real. And like I said. Time before, say it today. Me and Ray. Yeah. If you can't be good, be good at it. Y'all be cool. I'm out of here.